Blog Talk Radio. Yeah. ATD. Above the dome. Trap of freedom. The family. Tradition. Heritage. The missing links. Spiritual miracles. The awakenings. The walking sphinx. It's time to eat. Food for thought. The meta magician. Holy rainwater. Flows off my altar, channel through the seasons, elevate the reasons. What's the purpose of life to the living, death to the conscious? At the end of days, clash of the titans, zombies running rampant, Christ in the pamper. Looking for a lamp, revving at the church, plugging in the amp, rock of the ages, son of the undead, vamping, immortal rage. I bleed red ink on the page, words and truth, no signature, tis the blur. From invisible literature, sitting at the dock of the bay with Otis, having rituals, turn the lights off, it can get real quick, sir, melting pot mix, I'm in search for a fix, walking backwards, looking forwards, patiently waiting, don't ignore it, holding two swords like peace signs aimed at your board. Into flight, hawk eyesight, interdimensional terabytes, fuel for the journey, some lay a fuel for the gurney, colored in the book of law, no need for attorney, I turn the page, feel the script like a doctor coming out the cage, I'm the lion, fed grain, sticks and stones, no pain, a worker's only worth his gain, attempting to keep my inner sane, with lifestyle changes, high damn mountain plains, seven thoughts, Seven faults, no faults, who's to blame? It ain't the same, they take the names, I feel the sun. It ain't no fun if the homie can't have none. I see you run like Hussein, like none. It seems frightening, exciting. I go with streaming lightning. I'm the nigga and Logan at night. Our story is real, big, notorious This 
signs of the time bear me warning us To get up off our bum and do more for us Cause if we don't do something cause it's showing up We'll end up back and back of the auto bus Like pyramids and walls, no section Blocking out the weak, unreceptive These are just my thoughts, I give you my perception Put it in perspective, then in motion, then check it Governed by the laws that equal out to perfection Walking on walls like that movie Inception Positive inclination, that's the direction Your food stagnation, I'm a rise to the occasion Constant elevation along with patience Made me a maven, prominent, dominant Conglomerate with common sense 5% Islamic, bomb beats like Hiroshima Carry the crown, call me Elohim A god, son, beg your pardon Excuse me for confusions that may portray the illusions Delusions of grandeur, cause I am much more than I used to Again with your host, Dr. Aline Bay, my co-host is Brother Fahim. And you're Peace listening love, to brother. First World Order Radio. No doubt, no doubt. Peace, Brother Fahim. How you doing tonight? Great, brother. How you doing? All right, all right, all right. We got a special guest. Y'all know who it is, Professor Walter Williams. We're going to bring him on. And basically what we're going to talk about tonight is who built the Vatican. Who are the real builders? And we're going to get into some other topics, but that is the main topic for the night. So I'm going to bring um, Professor Bob um, Walter Williams on. Let me see here. Okay, here we go. Greetings, Bob. 
Peace. Greetings, Dr. Bay. Hey, hey, how you doing and tonight? to my other brother, Fahim. Yeah, peace, brother. Okay. All right, all right. We're going to get into it tonight. Y'all know what we're going to talk about. We're talking about the Vatican, the Moors, and who really built it. So we're going to get into that topic, get deep into it, as well as some other topics. So we're going to let um, Baba get into his information and see what he has in store for everyone listening. You ready for you, Baba, whenever you're ready to start. Okay. All right. Thanks so much for having me on your program this evening, Brother Bay, and and your co-host, Brother Fahim. Thank you both very, very, very much. Uh, tonight, I want to bring uh, to our listening audience uh, as to the real builders of the Vatican, that, uh, that double-walled city that's on the outskirts of Rome, over, over the catacombs. Uh, in the suburbs of Rome, they built what is known today as the Vatican, as you see it over there today. Now, I'm going to bring out who the real builders of the Vatican, uh, who actually bought uh, forth the building over there in that area of the world. But before I do that, I'm going to lay a foundation as to who are the Moors, okay? Now, let's go back to ancient Egypt. Ancient Egypt, our ancestors living in the continent of Africa, in the country called Egypt, through their culture, during the time of antiquity, through their culture came for civilization for all of humanity. They were the first literate people on planet Earth. Why? Because they created an alphabet to make themselves literate. And that alphabet, as you know, once you enter school as a student, uh, going to school, the first thing they teach you is your ABCs. Uh, teaching your ABCs makes you an individual that is literate. Uh, with that literacy of learning your ABCs, you are able to read, write, and spell, okay? So that makes you literate. So they were the world's first and oldest uh, civilized literate people on planet Earth, and through their culture and civilization uh, uh, came the very rudiments of civilization for all of humanity that's walking this earth as I speak at this very moment, of all races, creeds, and color. And that's who the ancient Egyptians are. Now, the next name that is applied to the ancient Egyptians today are uh, Coptic Egyptians. The word Coptic means a direct descendant of the ancient Egyptians. So those two names, the ancient Egyptians and the Coptic Egyptians, are one and the same. Let's go back to the, the third name that's being applied to the ancient Egyptians, and, and that being the Moors. The Moor, the Coptic Egyptian, and the ancient Egyptian are one in the same. Both are Africans. Both are uh, named at a certain time in history. And the Moor, the name Moor, uh, came out of them being in Spain, asked to come into Spain by those white Europeans, uh, who asked those Africans that are known today as the Moors who live in North Africa to come into Spain to bring civilization. Now, we're going to go 
down a little further in history. So we're going to come into the Americas when the Moors and Christopher Columbus came over here and they found this hemisphere, not the Moors, because the Africans and the Indians were already here. So uh, they tell you that Christopher Columbus discovered America. That's true. He discovered America for white people. Uh, America was not lost. The African and the Indian were already here. So now here he comes over in this hemisphere uh, uh, with the Moor, because at that time, uh, the Spanish government and the Roman Catholic Church uh, wanted to get rid of the Moors out of Spain because they had used them for, for the purposes of what they wanted them to uh, to do for them. So therefore, it's just like when you get through with a piece of uh, toilet paper, uh, you, you, you threw it, and once you threw it, you throw it in the garbage or throw it in the, in the toilet somewhere and flush it down. So this is what they did to uh, the Moors, the Coptic Egyptians the ancient Egyptians, and the Negro. So today, as I speak, the ancient Egyptian, the Coptic Egyptian, and the Moor, and the Negro is one and the same. It's no difference. So we'll get, get into that. Now, let's get back into uh, me laying the foundation as to who these Moors are. Okay. Now, uh, I said before that the uh, Moors are uh, descendants of the ancient Egyptians. Let's get back into uh, the ancient Egyptians, okay? Uh, that's your foundation right there. Now, uh, I'm going to lay out for you uh, the territory where uh, ancient Egyptians, those Africans who live in, in the continent of Africa, in Egypt, uh, what they set up, and what I call it the African ancient Egyptian commonwealth. And that commonwealth consists of nine countries. Now, two of those countries uh, supplies the water for the great Nile River, okay? And that being Uganda, and that being uh, Ethiopia, or Abyssinia, Ethiopia, okay? So now, those two countries is part of the nine countries that make up uh, the ancient Egyptian African uh, Commonwealth, a.k.a. also known as the Nile Valley Civilization. See, So now you've got Uganda, because uh, uh, Tanzania uh, borders Uganda, and in Tanzania is where you find Mount Kilimanjaro. Mount Kilimanjaro uh, supplies the water... Uh, being melted off the mountains of Mount Kilimanjaro uh, comes down into uh, Lake Victoria in Uganda. And from Lake Victoria merges with Lake Albert, and they have within that region there, there's three cataracts, which which you have a 125-feet uh, drop that once uh, those are called waterfalls or cataracts. And once that water comes down and falls 125 feet, it hits that table below and it spreads itself and moves it north. So this is where uh, the, the the main spot where uh, the water is being supplied for the Sudan, through the Sudan, uh, that makes up the Nile River, okay? So it travels through uh, uh, 
over 4,000 miles of nothing but marshlands until it veins its way into uh, and, and empties out into what I call the, the Great Nile Highway or the Great Nile River. And then your second uh, source of water is coming out of Ethiopia, uh, out of the Abyssinian Mountains. Um, and from that uh, melting of the snow on Mount uh, uh, in, in Ethiopia, uh, the Abyssinian Mountain, it falls into Lake Victoria, and then Lake Victoria carries it in to merge with uh, the Great Nile in the Sudan. The water that's coming out of Ethiopia is called the Blue Nile that merges in with the White Nile that flows in the Sudan. So you've got those two countries, Uganda, where the Twa people live, et cetera, et cetera. You've got Ethiopia, where... and where the Ethiopians live, and then uh, it flows on with, with, with nine other cataracts in, until you get into uh, Egypt. Egypt is the third country and the capital of the ancient Egyptian African Commonwealth. That's the, that's, that's, that's the capital of the Nile Valley civilization. Now, so that's the third country. Then you have those other countries that is uh, west of, of, of Egypt, which is, which is Libya, Tunisia, Algeria, Morocco, and Mauritania. All those countries that I named make up what is known as the Nile Valley Civilization. And that's where the rudiments of civilization started, right there, right there in the Nile Valley. Uh, coming from our African ancestors, known in history as the ancient Egyptians. Now, we're going to move up. That's the foundation. We're going to move up into the time of 1051. And in 1051, white European Spanish-speaking people asked Africans from those North African countries that I mentioned, uh, Egypt, Libya, Tunisia, Algeria, Morocco, and Mauritania to come into Spain and bring civilization to the white, European, heathen, Spanish-speaking people. And that was in 1051. So what they did, that they crossed uh, North Africa from Morocco, Mauritania, and, and from the Strait of Gibraltar, but mainly from Morocco and Mauritania, they crossed the Mediterranean to enter Spain to set up a civilization for those heathen, uh, uncivilized, Spanish-speaking Europeans. Now, this was the, the second civilization that was set up in the world. The first one came out of Africa, as I mentioned, from the ancient Egyptians living in the continent of Africa in uh, the country called Egypt. And uh, from that culture came forth all the civilization. Everything that we use today came out of that culture of, 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 of the ancient Egyptians, out of their culture. Now, we're back into Spain now. Now, you've got to remember, the name Moor is only a nickname, OK? 
okay? That nickname is to keep the world from knowing about that the Moors and the ancient Egyptians are one and the same, same African people. But, but, the, but the Spanish people called them Moors. Why? Because they came out of Morocco and Mauritania, crossing the Mediterranean from North Africa to inner Spain. And they called them black Moors, or black Moors. In Spanish, the word black means Negro. Keep that in mind. Negro and black is synonymous. Black and Negro is synonymous, one and the same. Uh, no difference. So therefore, what they did, those uh, uh, those North African uh, Moors that came out of Morocco and Mauritania and, and the other countries along North Africa during the time of the 11th, middle of the 11th century, uh, they came into Spain and they set up literacy there for these people. They set up a school system. Okay, and they also set up a government for the Spanish uh, uh, country and speaking people. They also set up and began to build buildings throughout Spain, uh, Seville, Granado, Cadillac, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And they also introduced public bathhouses over there. And during that, they introduced soap to the Europeans for the very first time. If you look at a uh, history channel, sometimes when you look at that, uh, the commentator on the history channel will tell you that soap was introduced into Europe in the 12th century. That came out from Spain by way of a people, an African people, who are the descendants of the ancient Egyptians, and known in history today as the Moors. So I want to bring that out. Now, let's go and, 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 and into the time of the seat moving out of Northeast Africa. I'm talking about the, the, the seat of Christianity, okay? Um, it's moving out of uh, Northeast Africa, out of Constantinople, uh, uh, Constantinople, it was a double-walled city with the world's first Christian church built inside of that compound, of that double-walled city. And that church is called the Church of Hagia Sophia, which is the first seat of Christianity. Okay? Uh, so that goes into another subject. But here I'm speaking about the Moors now uh, coming into building the Vatican. So let me keep on that course. So now uh, in... Uh, in the 14th century, after the uh, Ottoman Turkish sultans were threatening to overthrow and break through the double-walled city of Constantinople to seize Constantinople and to seize the world's first Christian church, the Church of Hagia Sophia, the Church of Mary and Christ, uh, built in 532, Finishing 537, December 27, 537, by Justinian and his wife Theodora, uh, who asked uh, those African ancient Egyptian uh, uh, architects to design this church, and they built it. Okay? And uh, if an individual wants to see a picture of 
the world's first Christian church and the world's first uh, prototype moth is on the front cover of my book called The Histor- Historical Origin of Islam. Right there, you see it. So now when that uh, threat was imminent to the Byzantine influence, this was the only, in the double wall city of Constantinople, was the only uh, stronghold, the last stronghold of the Ottoman uh, Turkish uh, emperors. All outside of that double wall city, all throughout uh, northeast Africa, all in, uh, in the northern part of, 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 of central Africa, the countries of uh, Asia, Syria, Morocco, Mauritania, and uh, countries in the Balkans were already uh, under the control of the Ottoman Empire or the Ottoman Sultan, uh, Sultans who controlled the Ottoman Empire. Now, so uh, with this imminent threat of coming through the double wall city of Constantinople and seizing Constantinople and the Hagia Sophia, the world's first Christian church, John the Eighth in 1439 went into Florence, Italy, and relinquished what is known as the uh, the donation of Constantine. He relinquished that to make way for the coming and uh, and make way for that seat of Christianity to be moved into Europe. And that was in 1439. Six years later, Eugenius IV and Nicholas V picked a spot on the outskirts of Rome over the catacombs, the catacombs where the Italians and the Romans buried their dead down into the earth. So they picked that spot on the, in the suburbs of in the outskirts of Rome to build what is known today, as you see it, the Vatican. Now, uh, once that spot was picked, uh, the Eugenius IV and Nicholas V asked Spain, could they have the Moors to come over into uh, Europe, into on the outskirts of Rome, and build for them what is known today as the Vatican. And that was done. Okay? Now, here you have the coming of the Moors into the Vatican. Okay? And that was in 1445 that happened. So in 1445, uh, the Moors over the catacomb built St. Peter's Church, known today as St. Peter's Basilica. Okay? And if you look at St. Peter's Basilica, it has the same dome that you have uh, in, uh, in Constantinople, in northeast Africa, in Constantinople, in the double wall city of Constantinople, where the church, the world's first Christian church, was built. There's a replica of that same dome, but in a smaller version. You see, that's no coincidence. That's done by way of you observing uh, the architect of those two churches. So now, therefore, you have at this time, in 1445, those Africans coming from from Spain, uh, borrowed from Spain, to come in there to, to build 
what is known as the Vatican. And the first thing they built was uh, St. Peter's Church, known today as St. Peter's Basilica. Now, um, let's go a little further. They built a wall city uh, that we know today as the Vatican. It's nothing but a double wall city, a replica of the double wall city that was found over in Constantinople in northeast Africa, where uh, the Hagia Sophia, the world's first Christian church, was housed. So they designed the, the Vatican as we know it today to be a replica of that uh, Constantinople, which is uh, over there in Africa today, but it's not a double wall city. It's in Turkey. See, Constantinople uh, was in was in Turkey, and it's still in Turkey. And uh, the Hagia Sophia, the world's first Christian church, is in Turkey. But today it is a museum. Uh, it was a museum put there and created uh, as a museum by the United States government in 1934. That's a little history right there. But now let's get back into the Vatican. So here in 1445, they built uh, St. Peter's Church, known today as St. Peter's Basilica. Now, you've got to remember, in, in 1445, the European Renaissance was only 48 years old. The Europeans did not have or know or have enough knowledge of technology to build a church like that. Okay? But all you have to do is look at the design of that church, St. Peter's Basilica today, and look at the d design of the Hagia Sophia. And I mentioned the Hagia Sophia. The picture of the Hagia Sophia is on the front cover of my book, The Historical Origin of Islam. Now, so uh, then another thing. Uh, in 1473, those same Moors, after building St. Peter's uh, Basilica built the Sistine Chapel that is over there today. That was built in 1473. That's where the popes live in that particular building. And also, the Sistine Chapel houses different artwork that was contributed to the Sistine Chapel by men such as Michelangelo, uh, Raphael, and other European scholars of that time. Uh, in 1473, the Sistine Chapel was built two years before the birth of Michelangelo. So let's not confuse Michelangelo uh, being uh, connected to uh, the Sistine Chapel. Only when he grew up and contributed artwork, stained glass, and so forth and so on to that. So same thing with Raphael. Raphael, uh, as an artist, was born in 1485. But today you may read that uh, Michelangelo and Raphael was the one that designed the Sistine Chapel. No, 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 no. That is another way to hide the knowledge from the world masses that it was the Moors over there. So I'm giving you the traits to look for evidence that of what I'm saying about the Moors being there uh, building uh, the Vatican, and one of them is uh, is, is that chapel of 
of, of St. Peter's Basilica, that church. Look at that dome, okay? And uh, the second thing I told you, that the Europeans, during, because this is during the time of the, uh, of the Renaissance era, didn't have the technology to build such a building as the St. Peter's Basilica. So that's the second one. Now, let's go up until 1478. 1478 was the time when the Spanish Inquisition came about, brought about by Ferdinand and Isabella, who an inquisitor general by the name of Thomas de Tarcamada to be the inquisitor general of Spain, okay? And also, uh, Thomas de Tarcamada was the inquisitor general for the Roman Inquisition. Now, let me explain these two, uh, uh, these two historical uh, names that I'm, uh, and, 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 and items that I'm talking about. Okay, now, the Spanish Inquisition, 1478, was created to get rid of the Moors out of Spain. Okay? Uh, 1478, got a man by the name of Thomas D. Tarcamata to be the Inquisitor General at that time. Also, the Roman Catholic Church had allied with the country of Spain. They are allies now. So, therefore... Thomas D. Takamata was also the Inquisitor General for the Roman Inquisition. Now, what is the, the difference between the two? The Spanish Inquisition, we're talking about the country of Spain. The Roman Inquisition, we're talking about the Roman Catholic Church. Now, both of them wanted the Moors out of Spain. They wanted them out. They wanted to erase any evidence that they ever been over there. Okay? So, therefore... Uh, what happened at that time is that they, uh, let's say, long story short, they hired a man by the name of Christopher Columbus who had a ship, supposedly. Now, if some people say, well, there's never been a Christopher Columbus, but that's a different argument. We're going to use the name Christopher Columbus for the sake of understanding of what I'm talking about. On the ship coming out of the Vatican, on that ship, coming out of Spain were Moors with Christopher Columbus, who came over here in 1492, okay? So now for, they came over here into a new world for the Europeans, like I said before. Uh, America was never lost because the, in, the Native American Indians was here along with the Africans. They were already here. So this discovery of America by Christopher Columbus was the discovery of America for White people. So therefore, uh, on that ship, you had uh, an African people by the name of the Moors. They came over here and they set up the third civilization over here in this hemisphere, right? Over in this hemisphere. Now, uh, by them being in this hemisphere, uh, setting up a civilization from 1492 to 1619, it's a 127-year gap in there. So with that, within that 127-year gap in there, from 1492 to 1619, 1619 is the official date 
for slavery to start in this country or in the Americas, okay? So now, here you have the Spanish and the Portuguese, which Portugal is in Spain, Portugal and Spain is one and the same. The Portuguese and the Spanish are one and the same. And you now have the Roman Catholic Church because the Roman Catholic Church had allied with the Spanish government. The Spanish government was the armed forces of the Roman Catholic Church. So therefore, when you speak of slavery over in this country starting in 1619, do not uh, leave the Roman Catholic Church out of it because they caused and was part of that uh, slave trade to be uh, brought over in this hemisphere, uh, which they took human beings, Africans, out of Africa, brought over in this hemisphere, and made slaves out of these human beings. Okay? Don't leave the Roman Catholic Church off of the hook uh, because the Roman Catholic Church had slave plantations scattered around the Americas during the time of slavery. In fact, the Roman Catholic Church in 1832 sold 272 human beings that are known as slaves to fund and, and raise money to build George Washington University in Washington, D.C., 1832. So that's been uh, not so long ago. But anyway, uh, uh, getting back to the slave trade. So when uh, the, the, the Roman Catholic Church, the Portuguese and the Spanish took these human beings out of Africa to make slaves out of them over in this hemisphere, what they did, because they had used the Moors, to the point where now they can take over and do things on their own without the assistance of the more those Africans that we know today who are descendants of the ancient Egyptians and called the Moors. They didn't need them any, anymore. So how do you get rid of them? What they did, they took the, those African Moors and those African enslaved human beings that were brought out of Africa to be put into slaves servitude over in this country. They put them under one umbrella, and under that one umbrella, the Moors and the enslaved Africans were called Negroes. You see? Negroes. You see? Negro and black. Now, it was called black or Moors in Spain. Black and Negro is synonymous, one and the same. Negro and black is one and the same. So, but they didn't call uh, when they did uh, put both groups under one umbrella. They didn't call them uh, blacks. They called them Negroes. And when that happened, Brother Fahim uh, 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 and Brother Bay, when that happened, that started a new African culture for Africans in this hemisphere. Okay. That African culture that they that they created was the Negro. Void that Negro is today, as I speak, is void of any African national identity. Has no nationality to it. See, so with that name, 
Negro given to these Africans living in this hemisphere called the Americas that started a new African culture. And from that new African culture, we uh, just blossomed. We bought, uh, we bought new things coming out of our culture that while we were living over here, jazz music, gospel, blues, and hip-hop, and, and you name it. I can go on and on and on. So as I speak today, the world is following us as an African people. The whole world, we have influenced this whole world of humanity as I speak. So I just want to bring uh, those things out to the listening audience, and, uh, and we can go forward from there. Uh, Dr. Bay, Brother Fahim. Yes, yes. Thank you, Baba. Um, let's, let's, let's get back to the Vatican, as you were stating, that... Um, that the building of it, you know, happened earlier than even the birth of Michelangelo and Raphael and many others who, um, of course, they speak of um, Pope Justinian who commissioned Michelangelo to paint the Sistine Chapel, you know, um, in the Not 15th Justinian. century. Justinian was a, it was a Roman emperor uh, in the 6th right. century, 532, he, he commissioned he and his wife, Theodora, commissioned African, uh, ancient Egyptian architects to design the world's first Christian church, which is the Hagia Sophia, over in northeast Africa in the double walled city of Constantinople. And uh, they finished it December the 27th, 537. So it wasn't uh, Justinian. So you got a different uh, uh, group over there. You got Eugenius IV and Nicholas V. Now, Eugenius IV mm-hmm. and Nicholas V became the popes of that uh, uh, Vatican Church, which is uh, St. Peter's Basilica today, you see. Okay. So, and, uh, so, and, and, and they also commissioned, uh, had uh, the, the Moors to build the Sistine, Sistine Chapel, a residence for the popes that are still being used today. So I just want to bring that up to you. It wasn't Justinian. Justinian is, was a Roman emperor in the 6th century. Over in Northeast Africa. Okay. Okay. All right. So these timelines are out of whack, obviously, here. And what you what what is it in which that we know that you know from reading your book, Historical Origin of Christianity, uh, we know that why why would the the Coptics, you know, as you were stating that Sylvester you know, um, allowed, you know, Ptolemy to, you know, to bribe his way into the ancient mystery school system. And then from that form, what we now call the Vatican Church or the Papal State or whatever term that we want to use, um, how is it that they are claiming legacy in that regard? Because they went through the ancient mystery school or no, see that uh, what you what you're speaking of, Doctor Bay, is a different timeline altogether. Very, very mm-hmm. much different. Um, right. Uh, way, way later. I mean, uh, the mystery of the sacred temple society of ancient Egypt did not 
integrate with other races of people. That's number one. They did not allow, I'm talking about the secular community, did not allow any Greeks or any foreigners into their sacred temple society. And uh, by them not doing that, totally one, like he, closed down all the temples throughout Egypt. But that's that was in B.C. times. That was in um, the 4th century B.C. So now we're talking about uh, in uh, 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 so-called CE time, which is uh, 1400 in the in the 1400s. So we're talking about uh, 1700 years later, 1700 or more years later, we're in the Vatican. So that's that's a right. different timeline line there. That's a different history attached to what I'm uh, explaining now. It's altogether different. It has nothing to do with the Vatican. It has nothing to do with uh, uh, the. Uh, uh, Christianity moving the seat from Northeast Africa uh, into and out uh, from Northeast Africa into Europe on the outskirts of Rome. It's a different thing altogether. All right. So, so a different thing altogether, but how were they able to do that as far as, you know, I, what was it in which that gave them the capability to do that? Was it because to do was what? It because Ptolemy Ptolemy was ruling for you know the previous twelve Ptolemies they they ruled and they um, took the information that was in ancient Egypt and coerced it into um, you know into Roman information in which that they took in which that formed the Vatican you know can you give us some information on how the Vatican was formed in that regard? Okay, well here. Then you have to go all the way back to the time when Alexander the Greek came into Egypt in 332 Mm -hmm. B.C. Right. Uh, Coming into Egypt, he came in with a group of men. Uh, He also had been in northeast Africa, plundering in Turkey and Syria over in that area. So now he's in Egypt, coming into ancient Egypt meeting our ancestors, those Africans, who brought forth civilization for all of humanity. And uh, uh, he, let's say, terrorized our ancestors. So therefore, he took over the, the control of Egypt. He also took over the control of Northeast Africa. And this is in 332 BCE. In 332 BCE, when the, when the Greeks came into Rome, into Egypt, our ancestors, ancient Egyptians, had, had established a civilization for 9,668 years before the Greeks ever got there. So civilization was over with when they walked in. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, um, but what they, what they know, knew for a fact, is that in order to uh, rule and control Egypt and the ancient Egyptians, they had to be accepted into the sacred society of of Egypt, of ancient Egypt. That society uh, refused admission to these Europeans. Like I said before, uh, our sacred society that our ancestors, ancient Egyptians, had created did not accept foreigners. They did nor did they race mix with anybody of any race, creed, or color. 
So therefore, um, Alexander lived for nine years. He died in 323. Now, uh, B.C. dates, you count down. Today's dates, we count up. So he came in in 332. Nine years later, he died in 323. So you count your, your dates down. So now, when he died, uh, his army generals and lieutenants uh, called a meeting called the Dio Ducci meeting. The word Dio Ducci means uh, to find the successor of Alexander. Okay? Who was going who's going to be the ruler of Egypt? Who's going to be the ruler of Northeast Africa, where Turkey and Syria is today? Okay, they call it the Middle East, of course. But anyway, it's called Northeast Africa. Okay, that's the real name for that area and region of the world. So now at this Dio Duce meeting, it was decided that Ptolemy, Lagi, called Sotar, the word S-O-T-E-R means savior. Very important to know that. And he was appointed to be the ruler of Egypt. Seleucus Nicator was appointed to be the ruler of Turkey and Syria in North Africa. But before Seleucus uh, Nicator left Northeast Africa, he left a man by the name of Antigonus to be in charge until he got back. So when he got back from that meeting, he found that Antigonus had usurped him of his power. He, Seleucus uh, Nicator went back into Egypt, told Ptolemy, Ptolemy, I've been usurped by Antigonus. I'm no longer in charge of, of Syrian Turkey, Turkey, Northeast Africa. Uh, Ptolemy got his army, and they went into uh, Northeast Africa, into Turkey and Syria, and confronted Antigonus and defeated him. And after the defeat of Antigonus, Ptolemy gave that territory, that plundered territory that, that Alexander the Greek had plundered, and gave it back to Seleucus Nicator. You see? And at that time, when, when, he, when that happened, he was called, I'm talking about Ptolemy, he was called the Savior. See, that's where the Sotar, S-O-T-E-R, comes in. See? S-O-T-R means Savior. Now, also, the Savior is now applied to this Jesus the Christ, as we know it today. See? So now, um, so that name, that's how the name Savior got applied to this Ptolemy. Ptolemy, after this happened, knowing that in order to rule Egypt, like I said before, the Greeks in order, knew in order to rule Egypt, they had to be accepted into the ancient Egyptian sacred uh, society of Egypt. But they were rejected. But the male Coptic Egyptians who, who ran ancient Egypt before the Greeks got there uh, took it upon themselves after being threatened and terrorized by these Greeks, they found a temple in Memphis, Egypt, 
that took two of their deities, uh, Osiris and the bull of Apis, the bull of Memphis, and com- combined both names together. And they came out with Osirapus, and they gave that name to this totemic one, Lagi, called Sota. They gave him the name of Osirapus, and and they cut, dropped the O and said Serapus. Okay. Now, the Serapus is also told me one like he, right? So therefore, he has a he has a title attached to him called the Savior. You see a name attached to him. This Ptolemy is the exact image, an exact person uh, that you see hanging on that cross today. That person, that that image on that cross, that icon on that cross called Jesus Christ, is nothing but totally one, laggy, called Sota. Now, when the when the uh, Melkite Coptic Egyptians found those uh, members in uh, Memphis, Egypt, at the temple, and they took two of their deities, Osiris and Apis, the Memphis bull that represented Ra and combined those two names together, they gave this Ptolemy uh, the attributes of Osiris. So now he has the attributes of Osiris now, you see? So therefore, with that attributes of Osiris and the new change in the name, he went and said, okay, uh, let me in to your sacred society, and they still refused to do that. So what Ptolemy one Lagi called Sotar, now called Serapis, he closed down all the temples throughout Egypt, all of them, except for that one temple in Memphis, Egypt, that made his image into a supposed god by giving him the attributes of Osiris and Apis, uh, the Memphis bull. Okay? Now, so therefore... Uh, now uh, he's got the title of what? If you get a book called The Outline of History by H.G. Wells, uh, sometimes it's in two volumes, one and two volumes, and sometimes you can get one volume with the two volumes in. However, if you, you go and look in the index, in the index, you look for the name Serapis, S-E-R-A-P-I-S, Serapis. And it will tell you where to find Serapis in the Outline of History book by H.G. Wells. When you open that up to that page where the index is, is pointing you to, you'll see a picture that you look, your eyes rest on this picture. you say, oh, that's Jesus the Christ. But under the caption, it says Serapis. See, in that book that I'm referring to at this very moment with this image of Serapis in there looking exactly like the days Jesus the Christ, it says this in that book. It says, in the cult of Serapis, he is spoken of as the Savior. You see? Now, where did he get that Savior name? From, from, from the history that I just told you about uh, Lucas Negator, Antigonus, uh, uh, 
Turkey and Syria over Northeast Africa and so forth and so on, how he uh, saved that and took that territory uh, and defeated Antigonus and gave it back to uh, Seleucus Nicator. So he was called at that point to save him. So now here this Serapis, in the cult of Serapis, he is spoken of as the Savior. That's historically how he got that name. Now it says that he raises the dead. Now by him being given the attributes of Osiris, Osiris, and uh, you study ancient Egyptian history and you look at uh, uh, pictures in those pictorial books that's depicting ancient Egyptians in there, you find Osiris is painted uh, with a green body, okay? It's called the god of the underworld. The underworld is in the ground, okay? Uh, Therefore, he is called the god of vegetation, that he raises the dead. Uh, We are in into a season called winter now. In Chicago, things are becoming barren. That once had blooms and blossoms and flowers and bushes and uh, things coming from, uh, emitting from the earth, okay? Today, you look at that ground, it's barren. So, but in the ground around the property where I live, uh, in, uh, you have perennials. We have planted perennials around in different spots of, of, of my property where I live at this very moment. Uh, you have hostas. Look at that ground. The ground is barren. Okay? Uh, that's a perennial. I know that's a perennial because it comes up every year. Then you have rose bushes in the back near the garage back there. Those, those rose bushes look dead and barren. Uh, on the front, we have a willow tree out there. There's uh, no uh, leaves on it right now. It's barren. We have other trees up and down the block that uh, during the spring and summer uh, have uh, big, beautiful leaves, green leaves, just, uh, emitting from these from these uh, trees, and et cetera, et cetera. So they said that in the cult of Serapis, he uh, raises the dead. Now, during when the spring equinox comes, okay, what happens? The earth gets warmer, and it brings forth, makes those perennials that come alive in the ground, and they begin to pop up through the earth. The rose bushes begin to have rose blossoms on them. We have a cherry, a couple of cherry trees. The cherry uh, become uh, on these vines, on the cherry trees, and et cetera, et cetera. So what I'm saying to you today, uh, during the time of Easter, what happened uh, during the time of Easter? They said that this Jesus the Christ was buried uh, after he was crucified on the cross and dropped into a grave, and that the, the, the grave uh, diggers who put this Jesus into this grave they put a rock over it, and when Mary Magdalene got to that grave of Jesus, she saw that the rock was rolled back and looked down in the grave, and the grave was empty, that this, that this Jesus has came up, and he, he, he arose and went up to heaven to be with his father. That's all symbolic to uh, uh, this Serapis having the same attributes 
as Osiris, you see. So in the cult of Serapis, he's spoken of as the Savior. I told you about that. He's, uh, he raises the dead. I'm telling you about that, how that happened because of the attributes of Osiris. Then it says, uh, you will, even after death, you will always be in the presence of Serapis. Now, uh, there's a judgment hall scene in these different uh, ancient Egyptian pictorial books that depicts where Hunepha, the deceased, is brought into this uh, antechamber, this judgment hall, to stand before Maat and her scale of justice. On one side of the scale is the, scale, is the feather of Maat, and on the other side is the heart of the deceased. In front of the scale is Thuth, T-H-O-T-H. And he is standing in front of the scale of Mea with his tablet and his pen with an ibis head. And he is taking notes on uh, the life of this deceased, Hunepha. And, and then, then around the wall, you see judges in that chamber. So uh, if his life on earth did not uh, comply uh, with righteousness, then his heart would not balance that scale with the feather on it. See, if he was a wrongdoer, that scale would be off balance. If he was a righteous person, then that scale would be even. And then he would be uh, able to go into the antechamber where uh, Osiris is sitting in a chair with a green body, with Isis, his sister, on his right side, and his sister Nephthys on his left side, and at his feet, his son, the S-U-N, Horus, or Haru. You see? So that's so even after death, you will always be in the presence of uh, this uh, Seraphus. So that's those three things is how it is applied to those those statements that's, that was that's made in uh, the outline of history concerning Serapis. Now those same things are given as the same attributes to this Jesus the Christ. You see, so uh, uh, I don't know if I have the time of, uh, unless you're getting tired of me talking. Uh, we can go on, but uh, you want me to continue? Oh Brother yeah, Bay? definitely, definitely. Let me uh, let me ask. Okay. Um, Brother L, um, uh-huh. Brother Fahim, do you have any questions? Uh, uh, well, uh, you said that the Moors had built the Vatican. Well, let me let me okay hold hold that question, and let me uh, continue on to the question that Doctor Bay asked me about today's Christianity and how the foundation of Christianity got into today's Christianity. Okay? Then hold your question, uh, Brother Fahim. I'll be back to you. But right. anyway, uh, the, the Ptolemies or the Greeks uh, uh, ruled Egypt uh, for 300 and 12 years. Okay? The Ptolemies 
uh, was 302 years, but the Greeks, the Greeks and the Ptolemies are one and the same. So from 332 to 30 BC is a time of 312 years. So now, when 30 BC came in, the Romans took over from the Greeks. Now, mind you, the things I just told you, uh, Dr. Bay and Brother Fahim, is that for all those years, for over 302 years or more, or, 200, or 312 years, the, the Greeks tried to get into and be accepted into the ancient Egyptian priest society. They tried to get our ancestors, those Africans, living in the sacred community, to accept Serapis, known today as Jesus the Christ, as a God. And they refused to do that. So now, here we have the Romans coming in in 30 B.C., took over from the Greeks. The Greeks told me, dynasty, in that dynasty, they had, uh, there were 14 Ptolemies, starting with Ptolemy one. He was the first one, and then 13 other Ptolemies after that, until the Romans came in in 30 B.C. 30 B.C., the Romans took over from the Greek Ptolemies, and they tried to get our ancestors in the secular community to accept this uh, icon or this Serapis as a god. Now, mind you, when Ptolemy in 320 B.C., closed down all the temples throughout Egypt, our ancestors in the secular community uh, continued uh, their uh, uh, spiritual attachment to each other in their homes. They brought their institutions in their homes and began to homeschool their children, you see. They still kept them themselves in a uh, spiritual connection with each other. So now here you have the Romans coming in in 30 B.C., and they took up the, uh, the helm or the reins of the Ptolemy Greek, Greeks who had ruled before them. And they tried to get uh, the ancient Egyptians in uh, the secular uh, community to worship Serapis also, but still was refused, you see, until... Uh, the Council of Nicaea I came into being in 325 CE. So from the time of, uh, of, uh, of the creation of Serapis, known today as Jesus Christ in 320 B.C., until the time of the first ecumenical council in 325, we talk about a time of 645 years before the Council of Nicaea One came in, into being. Now, in my book, The Historical Origin of Christianity, I point out there three historical events that happened that brought about uh, the Council of Nicaea One. Those historical events are the Donatist Schismatic Controversy of the fourth century, a fourth century controversy that broke out in in North, uh, in North Africa in 311, okay, in Egypt among the secular community. 
when uh, a co-ruler of of, of, of of the Byzantine, I'm sorry, of the Roman rulers, uh, asked a member of the secular community to turn over certain sacred writings to them. That was Diocletian. Okay, he asked a, a member who was a prominent member in the secular community to turn over sacred writings that he knew that would antagonize them. And Bishop Donatus and the Metropolitan Bishop Secundus said, told Mansurius, don't do that. He said, uh, they said, uh, they said, martyr yourself like your predecessors before you. But he didn't do that. He turned over those sacred documents and writings to this co-Roman ruler. And that caused what is known in history a split in our African community, a split that is known in history as the Donatist Schismatic Controversy. You see? So now, uh, at that time, you had Constantine was the ruler at that time. Seeing this split in and among the secular community in North Africa, he said that this is a good time for me to find someone in that community that will accept my offer. And the offer that he, that he offered is known in history as the donation of Constantine. He found a member of the secular community, by a man by the name of Sylvester Wan. And he said, Sylvester, I will give you my emblems of authority over your people if you will get them to accept Serapis in uh, their uh, community as a god. All I want you to do is to baptize me and make me part of your uh, uh, Coptic Egyptian community. Just make me a part of it. You have all the authority over them. I have no authority over them. I'm giving you this, my imperial emblem, on a temporal basis. In other words, once Sylvester, if he was successful in getting the sexual community to accept the rapist as a god, then he was going to take it back from him, but it didn't happen like that. But anyway, this is known in history. This is the offer that, uh, that Constantine offered Sylvester which is known in history as the donation of Constantine, 314, uh, 313, 314. 319, here come a member of the secular community, a man by the name of Arius. Arius said this, after Sylvester has accepted the donation of Constantine from Constantine, he said that Serapis was a created creature Dissimilar from the Father. In other words, not like the Father, but a perfect creature nevertheless. See? So therefore, those three things, the Donatist Schismatic Controversy, the donation of Constantine, and the strong statement by Arius, which is listed in my book, The Historical Origin of Christianity, brought about what is known in history as the world's first Religious council meeting called the Ecumenical Council of Nazi of One in 325. See? And uh, 
Last time I was on your program, Dr. Bay, I outlined how the created creature, the image of Jesus Christ was made, and the created creature of the Virgin Mary was made. Gave you that that history. So I'm gonna skip that history because I've given it already, you know. Then we're gonna go into uh, uh, the fourth ecumenical council that, that was called by Africans. The first one that was called by Africans uh, with the donation of Constantine as an authority to call this was the Ecumenical Council of Nazi 1325. Fifty-six years later, they called another council meeting called the Council of Constance Noble One. Uh, all these council meetings took place in Turkey, in Northeast Africa. And then the third most important council meeting was called by these Africans, called the Council of Ephesus in 431. That's where this, this Jesus, that's where Seraphos was transformed into this Jesus Christ. And uh, uh, now a created creature was also created called the Virgin Mary. I'll explain all that. Then the fourth council meeting that, that was called by uh, uh, by the Melkite, I'm sorry, yeah, by the Melkite Coptic Egyptians were uh, the Council of Chalcedon. I want to remind you now, when uh, Christianity first began in Ephesus after the Seraphos was made into the Christ, you cannot have Christianity before Christ. You cannot have, you cannot have Christians before Christ. You cannot have a Christian church before a Christ. You see? So therefore, uh, Christianity started and began at that very moment. Uh, uh, the Melkite Coptic Egyptians who created this, these two uh, created creatures, uh, Christ and Mary, they became the world's first Christians on earth. You see? Uh, today, uh, I hear people like Al Sharpton and other African scholars thinking that Christianity started in Ethiopia at the Coptic Church there. No, what, that's historically incorrect. started there at the Council of Ephesus. Then you go 20 years later, they're still arguing over the, whether this, this uh, uh, Christ now has a human nature. Before it was argued whether Seraphos had a human nature. That's the reason why they got to this virgin, this created creature, the Virgin Mary, for uh, this created creature known today as Jesus Christ. Now, so at the Council of Chalcedon, you got um, you got a council meeting that was called in 451 to try to get this uh, this Christ now still a human nature because they were still fighting the Melchites and the Monophysites. The Monophysites is a group of Africans who did not accept Seraphos or this Christ as being human. See, mono means one, okay? The Melkites uh, said that this Christ, after they, uh, that, that, that this Seraphos that, that they called Christ and created this mother for, was, had a human nature by creating this Virgin Mary to give it a human nature, you see? So, 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 uh, so as a council of Chalcedon 20 years later after that, they still, the argument is still going on. So as a council of Chalcedon, they came up, these Melkites came, came up with two words. Persepone means a person, and they applied that to this Christ now. They also uh, supplied the name 
uh, substantiality, which also means a person of the third uh, person in the Trinity. But that, that goes into another technical argument. But anyway, uh, 81 years after uh, Shasta down in 451, came up, you come up to the time of 532, 81 years later. And that's when Justinian and his wife, Theodora, commissioned those African architects to build and design a church for Mary and Christ. And they did it in 532. They finished it December the 27th, 537. And that church is called the Church of Hagia Sophia, uh, the Church of Mary and Christ. And I told you how that church uh, was established 902 years until uh, John VIII went into uh, uh, Florence, Italy. At the Curia there, the word Curia, C-U-R-I-A, means college, and relinquished uh, the donation of Constantine. So the seat of Christianity could be moved out of the double-walled city of Constantinople, which is called Istanbul, Turkey today, out of that double-walled city, and from the Hagia Sophia into Italy, into Europe. And I told you six years after that, 1445, Eugenius IV and Nicholas V chose a place on the outskirts of Rome over the catacombs. And that's when the Moors was invited in to be, begin to build the Vatican and St. Peter's Church. Okay? All right. That's your, that's your foundation right there. You see? Now, while the seat was in Europe now, okay, this is after the Moors had been run out and so forth and so on, uh, the Roman Catholic Church hired a man by the name of Leonardo da Vinci and gave him residence within that uh, Vatican to live there and be an artist for the Vatican. What he did was that he drew a picture of what? The Last Supper. The Last Supper never happened. It's only a painting done by Leonardo da Vinci with an attached stories attached to it, okay, about Julius Iscariot who betrayed Jesus at the Last Supper for so many uh, uh, silver coins and so forth and so on. And uh, Jesus having his Last Supper with his 12 disciples, all that's a story attached to this picture, fed to the Christians of today. They also uh, commissioned uh, Leonardo da Vinci. He drew what is known as the crucifixion, this Christ being crucified on the cross. And he attached stories about the Pontius Pilate and Jews bringing this Jesus to Pontius Pilate and said, kill him. He's, you know, Pontius Pilate said, what's the charges? Well, you heard the story, you see, and blah, blah, blah. Now, also, the same uh, Leonardo da Vinci created and drew a picture of Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene, they put a story, said that she went to the tomb of Jesus after he was crucified and taken down from the cross and buried. 
and that when she approached the tomb, the rock was rolled back, and Jesus, she looked down in the tomb, and Jesus has, has went up to heaven to be with his father. All of that kind of stuff like that. Then you got your paeta. paeta. Uh, the paeta is a drawing by Michelangelo of a, of a full-grown Jesus the Christ laying across the lap of his mother Mary, and so forth and so on. All that came out of what I call European Christianity. All that didn't happen over in North East Africa when the foundation was laid for Christianity to come about as you see it today. So as we see it today, I hope this answers your question, as we see it today, Christianity as being used today and presented today is nothing but European Christianity being uh, put upon the world as being the truth. Nothing but lies. This is people are using uh, European Christianity as I speak today. So I had to go through all that to answer your question, and I hope that you can see the connection. I hope you can see the connection right. of how that, all that came into be, brother. Uh, yeah. Faith, mm-hmm. Brother Fahim. <coughs> now, what was your question, Brother Fahim? I told you the whole. Yeah, you just you just answered the question. I just, just answered, answered it for you. Yes. Oh uh-huh. wow. Okay. That was great. Any other questions? Uh, you have any calls or anything like that? All right. For those that want to call in, give us a call at five six three nine nine nine. Three seven three eight. That's five six three nine 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 three seven three eight. Give us a call if you have any questions for Baba, uh, Professor Walter Williams. All right, the author of um, basically phenomenal books: Historical Origin of Christianity and the Historical Origin of Islam. And he and his wife has a new book out. Um, please give us that name of that book. Well, it's not out yet, uh, uh, Dr. Bay. It's on its way to be out. I've been saying this for a number of months now. It's going into years now. So I hope the listening audience won't think that I'm lying. But anyway, we have so many distractions in our lives, everyday lives, that it's hard to get back to the book and and pick up where uh, we left off. But anyway, the the name of the book is called Dispelling Myths of Ancient Egypt. Okay? And in this book, I'm bringing forth the repudiation of the Hyksos. I have a warning in there. It says, warning to all African scholars, teachers, uh, uh, intellectuals, and students. Do not uh, use the chronologies of ancient Egypt because our ancestors, ancient Egyptians, never wrote a chronology of themselves. So I'll give you five examples of different chronologies uh, with different dates and so forth and so on in there as to let you know not to use those chronologies because our ancestors never wrote a uh, chronology or a history of themselves. And then I also right. have in that chapter a uh, chapter on um, uh, repudiating the biblical uh, Persians in there and telling you about there's never been no Persians uh, ever existing in human history. I'll give you that. And then I also give you uh, an, uh, an uh, I added information on why the metanatural hieroglyphics have never been deciphered. I'll give you that in the book. And um, in the, the, the last chapter in that book, which my wife did over three uh, over three years of, of research, intensive research, is uh, the, the Sumerian 
cuneiform myth exposed, exposing the, the Sumerians and the cuneiform as a myth and, and, and showing you how it happened, how they did, how Western academia uh, brought this all about and uh, who, who the players are and were in the creation of this myth. So it's going to be an exciting book. Just hold on. I'm getting impatient myself. But there's nothing I can do about it. So hold on. It'll be out uh, hopefully soon. So that's the name of that book, Brother Bay. All right, all right. Well, I know you said something. I don't know if you want to get into it because I know it's in the book, but you did just strike a chord with me concerning the aspect that you just spoke about. Um, we hear about the fact that the Matunata has not been um, translated or, you know, deciphered. Is, right, is, or deciphered. Is it something in which that by looking at the images, would they be able to convey a message? You know, because you know, these are archetypes and which that is ancestral archetypes and being that we are the um incarnation or the descendants of these ancient Egyptians, would it tell us a story? Will it speak to us? You know, will it be a deciphering of this metronessa, of these stories of of the symbolism which is being conveyed to us? Well, I say I would say no. You know. Then you would you have to use what is known as metaphysics to do that. And metaphysics is not history. Metaphysics is an interpretation by the one who's interpreting whatever he or she is interpreting. That is, that's called metaphysics. Now, I may be, let's say, for instance, another person who is a metaphysics, practices metaphysics, look at the same thing that the first person who practices metaphysics came up with, but he come up with something different. And then the third person who practices metaphysics come up with something different. See, but, so it's not, uh, you won't get that. And in my book, The Historical Origin of Christianity, on page 146, uh, the appendix section, I'm saying why the metanatural hieroglyphics have never been deciphered. And it's very simple. I think I got about four and a half pages of me explaining my position on why the Mennonite hieroglyphics have never been deciphered. One is that one would have to ask the ancient Egyptians who drew those symbols what he or she meant for them to be. And they are not around to ask that question. Number two, I said I'm drawing a symbol of my own creation. And I asked the reader, can you tell me the meaning of this symbol that, I just, that you're looking at, that I've drawn? And the answer would be no. Then who would you need to ask to find out the meaning of that symbol? You need to ask the person who drew the symbol. I drew the symbol. Walter Wheeler drew the symbol. I would have that answer only. You cannot interpret what I drew and what I meant for it to be. You see, that's very simple. 
Then I'm going to explain in my book that a person who has a driver's license has to go down to the state of where they live and take a driver's test. The driver's test test teaches, I mean, asks you three things. Uh, they uh, ask you about the rules of the road, uh, of symbols, and uh, other things in order for you to pass to get your driver's license. Okay? Rules of the road, road symbols, and the and the meaning of these symbols. They ask you the meaning of these symbols now. They don't ask you uh, to 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 guess it. If you don't know the meaning, the true meaning of the symbols, then you fail the test. Okay. So therefore, you in order to have. To know those symbols that our ancestors have drawn, and some said there there are 400 symbols, hieroglyphics. Some said there are 600. Some said there are 1,000. Some said 15. Some said there's 2,000. Okay, but now, in order for you to see a symbol, you have to know. In order for you to explain the symbol, you have to know the meaning of it. If you know the meaning of it then you can explain it. But if you don't know the meaning of it, then you can't explain something you don't know nothing about. You're just guessing. There's a group out that wrote a book, 216-page book. They're, they're, these are young men. They're called the Armin Ross Squad. They wrote a book uh, repudiating what I'm, what, I, uh, what I'm saying in my book, which I took four and a half and a half pages to explain my position, why the metanature hieroglyphs never been deciphered. They they took up 216 pages. They did a terrific job of research. But not one sentence in that book are they explaining to the reader how a symbol known as the hieroglyphics or the metanature hieroglyphs can be deciphered. They won't tell you that. On the front cover of that book, they said that they were repudiating uh, the hieroglyphics not being deciphered by Walter Williams. They got my name across the front page. And on the back of that book, 216 pages, they got uh, things, what I'm saying, on the back of the book from uh, the why the metanational hieroglyphics has never been deciphered from my book. You see? So they wrote a 216-page book, did a very brilliant job on research, but they never said that uh, this is how you decipher a symbol. Nor have they ever came up or come up. They have never come up on a radio show where I am on, like now, to face me and say, you know, you're wrong, and give me the reasons why I'm wrong. You see? But... So uh, the hieroglyphics has never been deciphered. No, you cannot do that. You have to know, you have to ask Stan, the ancient Egyptians what he or she meant for them to be, and they are not around to do that. So therefore you can't just use, because when you say, 
well, I'm going to use my ancestors' DNA that runs through my through my body and my my blood. I'm going to use that uh, to try to decipher the hieroglyphics. So you come up with your decipherment of the hieroglyphics. Next person who's just, who's just African, just like you and I, have the same DNA. And our ancestors are ancient Egyptians. Come up with a different interpretation. See, so we can't have that. And then plus, I said the Melanesian hieroglyphics and explain why it have never been decided to take it out of Western academia. My aim was to tell Western academia, no, you have not deciphered my ancestors' uh, pictorial symbols. You cannot put an alphabet to a symbol. You can't do it. I, in my book, I've got the symbol of the question mark. I asked the question, can you take this symbol of the question mark and put an alphabet to it? Can you put an M, a T, a P, a Q, or S? You can't do it. It's a, it's a question mark. You have to know the meaning of that symbol of the question mark. The meaning, when you see that symbol of the question mark, it, you, when your eyes lay on it, it says to ask questions or to question. That's what that symbol means in today's academia. You see? So my argument was not to the African community. My argument is with Western academia. I'm not going to allow them to continue to lie and bring our ancestors' culture into their Western acad uh, academia and, and, and claim that they have authority over this by deciphering the hieroglyphics. I'm not going to do that. So if these brothers out here who fell for the lie that the Western academia is, has put out here and they got this lie and began, they took this lie and began to teach it in our African community, and the African uh, students and what they were teaching looked up to, oh, this is Brother So-and-so. He, he knows the hieroglyphics. Brother So-and-so don't know a damn thing. This is what they're mad about. Brother Dr. Bay? Yes, yes, I'm listening. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Any um, questions before we go, um, Brother Fahim? Uh, no, you answered my questions already about the okay, Lord's okay. building the Vatican. So, did a thorough, uh, uh, you know, or go around on it. So, I have no more questions. Right. If y'all in the queue, raise your hand and I'll put you on if you have any questions for Baba Walter. Um, Williams here. So um give us a call or either um hit one in the queue. Any questions? Well you must have stopped them. Because um, nobody is saying anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, <laughs> right. So, so I guess what we're going to do is um, any closing remarks before we leave out. Well, I want to say this, brother, uh, Doctor Fahim, and brother, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Doctor Fahim and, and, and Doctor Bay, I want to say this. I want to say something that I 
is my contention now. My contention is this. If it wasn't for the Honorable Noble Drew Ali in 1913 creating a Morse Science Temple and creating a movement of the Moors and that with that Moors Science Temple. Uh, if he hadn't done that, there wouldn't be no Dr. Aline Bay, there wouldn't be no Brother Dr. Fahim, and there wouldn't be other uh, Moors Science scholars out here. Now, this is just me saying this now. Okay, this is my contention. If it wasn't for the Honorable Noble Drew Ali keeping the Moors in our African community, then the Moors would have been swept aside like uh, that, uh, that uh, 1478 Spanish Inquisition was designed to do just that. So that's what I have to say. The second thing I have to say is this. Um, if an individual wants to email me, you can email me at ancientegyptian at msn.com. A-N-C-I-E-N-T, Egyptian, E-G-Y-P-T-I-A-N, at msn.com. Put your phone number on there. And I'll get back to you, and we can further converse by way of conversation. Okay? And again, my two books that are out there, they're called The Historical Origin of Christianity. The thesis of the book is saying that there's never been a man that ever walked to earth in human form of any race, creed, or color by the name of Jesus Christ never existed. The second book, uh, The Historical Origin of Islam, uh, is saying, the thesis is saying that there's never been a man they were walked over in human form by the name of Prophet Muhammad of Islamic tradition never existed. Uh, the Christianity book will be out for 25 years starting next month in the first of the year, 2018. The Islam book will be out 15 years starting next month, January of 2018. So you can get those books at uh, Amazon. Or you can buy those books at any African bookstore in your community. Or you can call the Underground Bookstore in Chicago by uh, calling area code 773-768-8869-773-768-8869, Underground Bookstore, and you can order my books that way. So, uh, again, I want to thank you for allowing me to come on your show. And I want to thank Brother Fahim for being such a gracious uh, assistance to you, a co-host. I appreciate, so I I appreciate both you both. Both of you, brother, for tolerating me and allowing me to come on and bring I hopefully bring some new information. Uh, I wanted to bring this information about the Moors building the Vatican because I never heard nobody talk about it. Okay? Right, right. So I want to 
that information to our community. So I want you to add that to your feather or to your hat. Right. Yours. Brother Dr. Fahim. Right. That's what I'll do. Brother Dr. Bay. Professor Williams. Um, yes. Yeah, we got two questions now. All of a sudden, <laughs> I guess they don't okay. have time to think about it. <laughs> so we have area code seven zero eight seven zero eight. You're on the line. Area code seven zero eight. Yeah, peace. Yeah, peace, <laughs> peace, brothers. Master Mosel Bay. I'm trying to uh, see hey, peace, who, who built the Vatican because I ain't here. The more. What was that? Hello. The more. Yeah, go ahead. Did you Did you hear the right, program? Pardon me, sir. Did you hear the program from the beginning? No. Nah, see, I missed the beginning of it. I I, I came oh. in late. Okay. Well, what you have to do? It's a suggestion now. I'm not telling you what to do. Uh, if uh, Doctor Bay, I have this program on. How do you do? Can Can anybody go into after this? Anyone can go in the archives and get the um, download and listen to the show. And also, it's on my Facebook page. For anybody that can go to the timeline, you can listen to it there. All right. You so got I'm going to go to brother. the next question. Hello? You got that, my brother? Oh, yeah, I got it. Okay, if All you right. go there and then you can hear the whole show, then I explain to you exactly uh, how the Moors built the, the Vatican and what, what happened and so on, insisting chapel and so forth and so on. Give you the, the timeline, the years and the dates and everything is in there. So you listen to that, to this broadcast that we're on tonight and you'll get an earful. And it will enhance and expand your knowledge. Thank you, brother. Do you have any other questions, and my brother? We have Erico 8. Zero three eight zero three. You're on the air. Hey, peace out to you, brothers and sisters. Peace, peace, peace. Um, I actually had a question for for you, um, Mr. Williams. And um, I did been listening mostly to the blog. However, you may have answered this question, but um, however, you can answer the question. Of course, I know you know this. You choose to with me. It's, it's still fine at this point. However, uh, the question is, when we refer to the Bible or the Torah, Pentateuch, where did the essence of the parables or stories come from? Where does what now? Where did the stories come from? Yes, when we refer to the Bible or uh-huh. the Torah, where do the essence of the parables or stories come from? Because a lot of times you have individuals that try to take the the chronologies of the, the scriptures and even the aspects of it. Some of you refer to the dialogue of the people of being of a, a darker skin or a melanated complexion. So I was just kind of striving to see where your information compared to to kind of get you know, a better understanding if you know, you're able to in that form. With all this okay. Stuff. Um. Okay, maybe maybe one day, uh, maybe next time I'm on the show, Dr. Bay and Dr. Fahim, uh, I'll explain the, the historical origin of the Bible. But anyway, I'll give you a, a, a short overview on your answer. I'll try it anyway. Uh, the okay. first printed Bible was printed in 14, 
1975. Uh, in a country called Italy, in a city called uh, Bologna. Uh, the first Bible printed used what is known as the Greek alphabet for the printing of that Bible. Uh, who formulated the Bible was Johannes Rusten and his two Italian counterparts, Marcello Ficino, Pico della Marandola. They used... Uh, Moses Maimon called Maimonides his writings to formulate that Bible to be printed. Uh, it was called the uh, the Oxford, I'm sorry. It was called uh, the Oxford Bible. Okay. So now uh, that Bible had that was with that Bible they had the first five. Uh, chapters in there, which was the first five books of Moses. Not the Moses of the Bible, the Moses Maimon called Mamonides. He wrote those first five books of the Bible. Okay? Back then and that's those still first five books of today's Bible are still there. Now, uh, it was called uh, the Orthodox Bible. Okay? Or the Hebrew Bible. Okay? Now, um, uh, today, or back, let's go back there, let's go back there, let's, let's stay back there. In 1516, uh, I'm sorry, in 1500, uh, the Pope, Alexander VI, commissioned a uh, ex-member of the Roman Catholic Church, who used to be a, a priest there by the name of Desiderius Erasmus, was then a playwright. He wrote three plays in Europe, uh, Praise of Follett, Inceridion, and the Adages. Now, when the first Bible came out in 1475, the Roman Catholic Church had no literature for themselves, had none whatsoever, okay? Mm-hmm. So, uh, Ruslan offered this, this Bible to the, the the Pope, and that infuriated him. How dare you to give me something? He said, uh, Russian said, you read this Bible, it will, it will make you understand Christianity a little better, and that insulted him. So at that point, he commissioned just there's Erasmus, the playwright that I just mentioned. So in, it, it, that was in 1500. Sixteen years later, just there's Erasmus had produced the three synoptic gospels, Mark, Matthew, and Luke, they always tell you that John came later. They always tell you that, which John did come later in the King James Version of 1611. So now let's go back. And uh, uh, you got Erasmus bringing forth the synoptic gospel or Q literature. QLA literature means synoptic. Synoptic means the three uh, uh, synoptic gospels of Mark, Matthew, and Luke, okay? Then he also added 1 and 2 Peter, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, and Epistles to the Romans. With that, it was nine manuscripts that he contributed to the writings of the New Testament. That was done in uh, 1516. In 1519, they changed it 
from the Novum Instrumentum to the Novum Testamentum. And in 1535, they changed it to the New Testament. The word novum means new. Uh, uh, instrumental means an instrument, a new instrument. Uh, then it goes into taking away the new instrument. They say the New Testament, so forth and so on. So that gives you a little history there. You see? Now, so today as I speak, in the New Testament, you have 27 books of the New Testament. In the New Testament. Nine of those the first nine of those uh, in the 27 books was written by Jesus Erasmus. Then you have 18 other books was written by apocryphal writers. That's very important. The word apocryphal means books of unknown authorship. You don't know who wrote those books or the other 18 books. Okay? Now, let's go back into uh, uh, the, 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 the Old Testament today. In the Old Testament, you got it comprises of 39 books. Oh, this makes up the Old Testament. The first five of those books can be attributed to Moses Maimon called Maimonides. You see? Then you got 34 other books in there can only be attributed to apocryphal writers. The word apocryphal means. Books of unknown authorship. You don't know who wrote them. <laughs> Books that are spiritually written. Now, this is what I want you to do for yourself. Uh, yes, sir. You got a pencil. Yes, sir, I and do. A, and a piece of paper. I want you to write this down. Pfefferkorn, mm-hmm. Ruslan Controversy. I'm going to tell you how to spell it. Pfefferkorn, P-F. E-F-F-E-R-K-O-R-N. That's Pfefferkorn. Slash. You got that? Ruslan. R-E-U. C-H-L-I-N. You got that? R-E-U-C-H-L-I-N. You got that? Controversy. Yes, sir. So you got, you you look up uh, the Pfefferkorn Ruslan Controversy. Okay? okay? And that, when you look that up, that'll tell you okay. some of the things I'm telling you about how, when that Bible came out, how it infuriated the Roman Catholic Church, those uh, those posts of the Roman Catholic Church. And when Erasmus came out with his uh, version of, 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 of those Gospels in 1516, that's, that stopped that controversy because Pope Alexander the, the Tenth uh, had... Uh, call what is known in history uh, the Pfefferkorn Russian controversy. Okay? He called for the confiscation and the burning and the destruction of all Jewish writings, books, and things. He called for that destruction because at that time you had the printing press had been invented by uh, 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 Johannes. Uh, Gutenberg in 1437. So they had a printing press to print up literature, and that was a, during the height of the Renaissance era of Europe. You see? So mm-hmm. you look that up, okay? Okay. Uh, Absolutely. That, that, the Pfefferkorn Ruslan controversy. You see? Okay. And so uh, today, as I speak, uh, you have both Bibles, Old and New Testament, on one cover. That was mm-hmm. done. In, in, in 1527, by uh, 
Jacob van Livesfeld, who did, who's a who's a German Swedish uh, 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 I mean theologian, and that he okay. put both books on the one called fifteen twenty seven. Okay. So that gives you some type of uh, understanding about the Bible. See? Absolutely. Okay. And I have other, I have other information, but I'm. Uh, I don't want to go on and on. I've been talking so much. Right. I know right. y'all get out of me anyway. So <laughs> no, no, I, no, no, sir. I I thank you for everything you um you have given me. And I'm and because you say that, I'm not going to ask you the next question. I wait till the next time for you. That's okay. That. We got another one. I think we got a little time. Is that right, Brother Bay? Doctor Bay. Indeed. Yeah. Okay. Go okay. ahead, brother. Okay. Um. Also, um, we also hear a lot inside of the communities about King James. Some say that he was a person of melanated uh, complexion, and some say he was of a, a pale skin complexion. Do you have uh, more insight or knowledge on who actually King James was and what his whole perception was dealing with the aspects of the, the Bible? Yeah, see, King, you got to remember, King James was another white man. Englishman. That's all. Forget about that. See, what you're hearing out there is rumors. And you can't use rumors as history, as human history. Right. Your rumor is a rumor. And when you investigate that rumor, then you can you have firsthand knowledge because of your investigation. Don't take what rumors are saying. You see? Right. King James you know, was an English European white man had nothing to do with the King James Version of the Bible. It was Francis Bacon and uh, Lancelot Andrews who created what is known as the King James Version of the Bible called the King James Version 1611. In 1611, when that Bible came out, they dedicated that Bible to King James. King James had nothing to do with it. It was dedicated to him, and in the King James Version, you find the four Gospels, the fourth Gospel, which is John. They always tell you uh, uh, Mark, Matthew, and Luke, the three synoptic Gospels, and they said that John came later. John did come later in the King James Version, and you find in John, in the King James Version, Jesus the Christ, they made him a Jew in that, Bible, in that King James Version. So, that would be my answer to you. To me. Okay. Absolutely. You definitely answered my question. I really appreciate it. I just want to get also your insight on it as well. I do okay. Thank you, thank you so Professor, much. Yes, sir. Thank you, Mr. Professor Williams, and I really appreciate all you did for me just now as well as what you do for our community as a whole. Right. Um, also, absolutely. Also, Arim and Fahim, this is your brother Kareem Ozell Bay. And I just want to send my love, peace, and happiness to you all as well. And I thank yeah. you all also. Yeah, peace and love, boy. Peace and I love. Y'all, you all in, that's right. I'll speak to you all in due time. Y'all take care of yourselves. All right. You do the same. Right. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, brother. All right. Say in peace. All right. That's it. Tonight, that's the end of the show. We appreciate everybody um, coming and check us out. And any closing statements, Brother Fahim, before we leave? Oh. Uh, uh, well, it's a pretty good show. Uh, hope we have another good one next Wednesday, like we did tonight. Oh, yeah. Always when we have Bible Williams on, 
No, no doubt about that. Yep. You always drop. True. Yes, you do. Yeah, make you think. Make you think about some things. Anything else, Baba, before um, we leave? Well, if you can send me um, uh, the, uh, the clip of the show on my email, I appreciate it. I sure will. That's your will. And I want to let your uh, uh, listening audience know, our African uh, audience know, that I, Walter Williams, I'm sending my love to all of you. Okay? I love my African community. That I do. So I want to say to them, Mayotte Hotel, and I use Mayotte and, uh, because of Mayotte is a female. And Hotel is the male. So the female Indeed. and the male balances each other. Without the without the female, there will be no hotel. Because she's the one that incubates humanity in her womb, in her body. The female. So don't ever leave her out. That's the reason why you hear me say, may I hotel. I put that female in there. So you get that cosmic balance. I just want to bring that out. So, again, my brothers, I certainly appreciate you, both of you young men, to uh, invite me or ha- allow me to be on your show. I'll put it like that. And I am well, right. humbled by that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, brother. Okay. Appreciate you. Thank you. Okay. And before we both. go, we have the gathering of the X-Men. At the Bay Mansion, this is all conscious women and men are welcome. Group Qigong, Tai Chi, Reiki, Pranic Healing, Meditation, Rituals, including certifications in the various parts mentioned, and more. If you want to know more information, go to my website, www.dralinobay.com. This is December the 8th, 9th, and 10th. That is this coming weekend. 8th, 9th, and 10th. All right? Donation is two fifty um, per person. Reserve your space. Reserve your space. Um, if you want, you can stay on the land, or either you can go to the website to calendar of events and go and get the hotel listing. All right. If you're interested, give us a call at nine one zero three six four nine zero nine nine. That's nine one zero three six four nine zero nine nine. The gathering of the X Men at the Bay Mansion. All right, we will be going in. We will be going in into some deep, heavy, occult, metaphysical, esoteric information. All right, so give us a call for those that's really sincere and that really want to get this advanced information and knowledge. All right. Other than that, as we would say, we love y'all and we are out. Yeah. ATD, above the dome, trap of freedom, the family, tradition, heritage, the missing links, spiritual miracles, the awakenings, the walking sphinx, it's time to eat, food for thought, the meta magician, holy rainwater flows off my altar, channel through the seasons, elevate the reasons, what's the purpose of life to the living, death to the conscious, at the end of days, clash of the titans, zombies running rampant, Christ in the pamper, looking for a lamp, revving at the church, plugging in the amp, rock of the ages, son of the undead, vampire, immortal rage, I 
red ink on the page Words and truth, no signature Tis the blur from invisible literature Sitting at the dock of the base with Otis Having rituals, turn the lights off It can get real quick, sir Melting pot mix, I'm in search for a fix Walking backwards, looking forwards Patiently waiting, don't ignore it Holding two swords like peace signs aimed at your board Into flight, hawk eyesight, interdimensional terabytes, fuel for the journey, some lay a fuel for the gurney, colored in the book of law, no need for attorney, I turn the page, feel the script like a doctor coming out the cage, I'm the lion, fed grain, sticks and stones, no pain, a worker's only worth his gain, attempting to keep my inner sane, with lifestyle changes, highs and mountain plains, seven thoughts, Seven faults, no faults, who's to blame? It ain't the same, they take the names. I feel the sun, it ain't no fun if the homie can't have none. I see you run like Hussein Lightning. It seems frightening, exciting. I go with streaming lightning. I'm the nigga and Loki at night.